I'm Elena Salinas, and this is the Women in Tech Show, a show where women in tech talk about technology and career development. Today's guest is Maria Nagaga. Maria is on a mission to make a better world through code. She's actively involved in projects to help the community, and this is one of the reasons why she is in technology. We talked about the diverse projects she has worked on, and also about her work as a technical evangelist at Microsoft. Maria enjoys building projects using ASP.NET, contributing to open source, expressing herself artistically, and she is currently a program manager at Microsoft. I loved talking to Maria, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Maria, welcome to the Women in Tech show. Thank you for having me. So. About a year ago, you made a bold statement that said something like making a better world through code. Okay. And I really like this statement and looking at some of your work, I think this is something that really characterizes you. And one of the things that caught my attention was this initiative that you took a part of called the NASA Space Apps. So I don't know if you remember that. Yes, yes, I remember that. So, yeah, what is the objective of NASA Space Apps? Because I hadn't heard about it before until you mentioned it. Okay, so NASA Space Apps is a really cool hackathon that happens once a year, and it's mm -hmm. in done in conjunction with NASA and uh, an organization in New York. And what they do try to do is using technology to figure out all sorts of things. Like when I first thought about, when they first came to me and asked me to participate, I was like, oh, is it only building things for space? They're like, no, it's building things for the world. So we had hackathon um, apps there that were all the way from how do we build houses in space? Like how do we 3D print houses in space? To how do wow. we grow food in places which weren't meant to grow food? And if you think about it, it's not only if we went to Mars, how would we grow food there? But imagine if you can manage to grow something in Mars, on Mars, you can grow something here anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. And I think that's also one of the things that uh, the Amazon CEO said. I'm not very sure, but it was something like, what if we could make things in space and also bring them back to Earth? Yes. To make Earth more sustainable. We don't have to have those manufacturing processes being done on Earth. A hundred percent. Yeah, so it was, so they mentioned some of these things at that, that event? Yeah, they mentioned some of these things at the event. And I think also like when I, when I say that statement of make the world a better place through code, um, mm -hmm. it also tells a story of how I got started in code. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I don't how was that? Well, it wasn't the typical story of like a lot of people I meet have been coding since they were eight years old. And at yeah. eight years old, I didn't even have access to a computer. It wasn't something that um, my parents would have ever thought to buy for me because that wasn't yeah. the world I grew up in. The world I grew up in, you became a doctor or a lawyer and that's how you were successful. Yeah. Um, but I was at home in Uganda and my sister was working as a refugee lawyer. Mm -hmm. And she took me to her refugee camp and there were all these women there 
and they just wanted to start a new world. They, they just wanted to start a new life. And what they wanted more than anything was to pick up a skill. And the Gates Foundation, I think, had donated all these computers. So I just took it upon myself to learn how to do things and teach them how to use Access. So Access oh. was my very first exposure to writing code using SQL statements. And I moved from yeah. there. And seeing how these women were empowered by, by just simple query statements. I was like, what else can I do with this? And that's what I always try to aim for is yeah. um, creating inclusive communities where we think about how people can have access uh, mm -hmm. to learning how to code or even just technology in general um, yeah. and thinking about how they're using the tech. So we have to think beyond an app, for example, this is going to be an iPhone app. Not everyone in the world can access an iPhone. Um, how do yeah. you create on a platform that everybody can access? Yeah, or it might be they might have an iPhone, but the network is not as fast. So there are some other challenges there. And so I want to talk a little bit about your experiences as a technical evangelist. Like you mentioned, you got kind of your start learning a technology and then teaching it to people, right? Yeah. Like with, with Microsoft Access. Yeah. So uh, you were a technical evangelist for about three years. What sort of things were you doing as a technical evangelist? What were you talking about? Well, it was, it was a, yeah, that's, that's a good question. Like evangelism is an amazing job to have. It's, uh, mm -hmm. it's a difficult job to have. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, but it's also such an amazing job to have because every single day is different and every single audience that you're going to talk to is going to be a different experience. Mm -hmm. I got my real start in evangelism and I think where I shined the most was in the academic space. And I worked with a lot of university students, so that was my first start. So when I first joined Microsoft, I was in charge of driving the app numbers to the Windows Phone and Windows 8 store. And I don't, were you at Microsoft at the time? When I joined about two years ago. Okay, so, so you just missed that experience where we were, oh, okay. we were creating the Windows store. So mm -hmm. it started with me teaching kids how to build apps, but then it went farther than that because First, you're teaching them how to build an app, but then in between, you're also teaching them all these other things. You're teaching them about how to make an income. So there's one student I worked with when I first joined, and now he's a professional app developer, and he's able to pay for part of his tuition. I think that's huge. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. That he was able to start with his very first exposure to apps was in my class. And now he builds Android and iOS apps using Xamarin. And he knows more about Xamarin than I do. Oh, wow. And I think, and I think that's brilliant that, that he's out there making money um, and yeah. being able to support his education doing that. Um, another Is that way, person in college? What? Is he in college? He's in college. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's pretty cool. He's in college. So he, he, has, he made money and he also freelances. And I, I think it's brilliant that he was able to go into this classroom, be exposed to Visual Studio for the first time, getting it for mm -hmm. free um, as well using like all the, the systems that we have in place like DreamSpark or I think it's Microsoft yeah. Imagine now to get access yeah. to things like that. And he was able to launch like his mini career and I think that's beautiful. And then yeah. 
I just always loved the education space. So after going through the universities, um, I also get a, got a chance to work with kids. And, and that, um, if you haven't tried it, anyone who's no. listening, you should go yeah. and try teaching kids. Um, there's a level of patience that you get while teaching kids and, and complete joy. Um, yeah. Believe me, teaching a bunch of five-year-olds how to build their first game in scratch uh, is pretty amazing. It takes about, you know, two hours in mm-hmm. which they have to take a break every 10 minutes and wow. break into dance will probably be the nicest thing ever. But that also <laughs> gave me a lot of exposure to the accessibility that um, kids even have to computers as well. Cause I did work at the mm-hmm. YWCA where I worked with older girls who are about 13, 13 and up. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling them, you know, you can go use code pen at home on your machines, like on your, at, at home using internet. And one of the girls came up to me afterwards and said, I don't have access to internet at home. Oh, so wow. it, it makes you think about different ways that we should be giving people access to technology and giving them access to a um, co- code experience as well. So that was that's a huge thing that I really want to work on. And it's something that I brought with me with joining the new team as well. Yeah, it helped you gain newer perspectives. Oh. So you also gain a lot by doing these experiences. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's amazing to to volunteer time because um, evangelism gave me the confidence to go out and teach people. So a lot of um, the things that I've done in the K through 12 space is on my own time. It had nothing to do with evangelism, but evangelism gave me the confidence to go out and do it, do that. Mm-hmm. Were you already very proficient with the technologies you were teaching the kids? No, not at all. <laughs> Okay, because when I think about it, as a tech evangelist, they've used something for several years, they dominated, and now they're just out there teaching. Oh, yeah. Um, there's, definitely, um, there's definitely a benefit in having experience with evangelism. Um, when I came out of college and the interviewer came, the recruiter came up to me and said, do you want to interview for a technical evangelist position? I said yes, but I had no idea what it was. (laughs) Yeah, keeping your options open. Exactly. I was just like, I said, yes, of course. Of course, I'll do it. It's Microsoft, most definitely. It's a dream job. And then I had to go and uh, Google, okay, or Google with Bing, as my boss says, um, what it was. And I was a little bit nervous because in the past, evangelists had had about 20 years experience because you're going out and people have to trust you. They have to trust the knowledge that's coming out of your mouth. And I think yes. that's why when I first joined my boss at the time, who has been one of uh, my favorite bosses of all times, uh, Bob Familiar gave me the academic space because he thought that that would be the most comfortable space for me. Um, because students are more forgiving <laughs> in, in, in mm-hmm. a sense, Plus, it also gave me a chance to learn with them yeah. as I taught them. Um, so one thing about evangelism is just it taught me how to think real fast. Um, you get a t- piece of technology, you go learn it. I had no idea um, about the Windows, how to build a Windows phone app. I didn't even know a Windows phone existed. That's how bad it was. 
Wow. Um, I didn't know there was a Windows phone, but I always make the excuse of, ah, I was in school in Canada. We get things a little bit later. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it, it was just sitting down and doing the work. Um, and I think I've taken that even when I'm teaching kids. Uh, if someone said, Maria, can you come in and teach Unity? I would say, okay, give me two weeks. Let me figure out how the tool works and then I'll come and teach it. Um, wow. being able to quickly produce, uh, one-on-one content has been a huge part of my success so far. And I'm hoping mm -hmm. to grow it even more over the years. And how do you come up with a project that will keep the audience engaged? Like when you're looking at working with kids, what are some of the things that you keep in mind? Um, that'll definitely. Keep them interested? Oh, sorry. That'll keep them interested. I'll keep them engaged. Definitely. Yeah. It's whatever is the big thing at the moment. So when mm -hmm. I first started teaching kids, it was flappy birds. Um, I, I, oh, yeah. I don't think I can look at a Flappy Bird app ever again. I've created so yeah. many of them with kids. Um, wow. But it's, it's finding what's really trendy for them at yeah. that moment, especially with the K through 12. So for us, yeah. it was uh, Flappy Bird. So Stacy Mulcahy, um, who is a good friend of mine, started an organization called Young Game Makers. And uh, we kind of figured out what it was going to be. Um, and the one thing we were like, let's just teach kids how to build Flappy Birds in different kinds of um, game engines. So we taught them in Scratch, um, Construct 2, Game Salad, Unity, um, and, and just being able to do all those things really kept them engaged because you mm -hmm. want them to learn something that, they, that can be easily referenced, but will also inspire them to do something else. Um, yeah. There was one kid who was in the Unity class in Young Game Makers, I forget his name, and he came in, he started with Flappy Birds, and then a year later he had built all these different kinds of games, and then we had a game competition, and he was one of the judges, and he's like 13! Wow, just, that's awesome. He, it was awesome, he was walking around, he was giving like these, these grown people um, in the industry yeah advice and he was telling them how to use things in unity and how to use the libraries and I can't imagine uh, the excitement that his parents had because us as people who had seen him grow were just like oh my god you're just trying not to cry but you can't help yourself kind of thing it's so rewarding yes definitely and I saw something similar to this at DockerCon conference there were three of the speakers were 13 years old and they were teaching people about Docker, how they've used it, the challenges they've had. And it's very, very inspiring and insightful, I think, seeing these kids oh, yeah. involved from such a young age. Because when I think back at 13, I was probably still watching cartoons. Uh, yes. <laughs> so when I, when I do hear like kids doing all these amazing things, um, yeah. in technology or when you see those kids who are starting their own NGOs, like the little girl who creates bags for homeless people, you're just like, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. That's one of the amazing things about the developments we've seen in technology that people that are young can build actual products, whereas before you needed manufacturing and lots of money so now everybody can start making the world a better place yeah. through code because we have 
all those tools really accessible to us. Oh, yes, 100%. The yeah. fact that, um, so I was talking to my boss and he was like, if, if he had a bug back in the day in his code, he'd have to pull out a book yeah. and look through for the bug. If I have a bug in my code right now, um, Visual Studio, for example, and a lot of other IDEs have built-in um, support systems in the tool now. And this Stack Overflow, there's, there's, yeah. there's so many different ways that you can access things now that it gives yeah. you more time to focus on on building great things. And you have to be very grateful to all the people who are building it before, who went through all these challenges and created all these complex project, products that allow us to actually go and build great things. Yeah. Or also if you decide to open source a project, somebody else can find your bug and somebody else can fix that bug. Oh so, yeah, open source yeah. is huge. Um, yeah. I actually did a talk at OzCon this year uh, called mm -hmm. the fearless contributor on the importance of contributors in open source. And one of them is, you know, finding a bug. And once it's kind of like reading an essay, um, where mm -hmm. that you've written and you can't see the obvious grammatical errors. And the moment some, yeah. you give it to somebody else to proofread it, they find it like in a second and it's the same open source allows you to do that. Um, it also allows you to create great documentation. Uh, and that's a huge part about changing the world through code, because let's say you create this great product that could literally help somebody out, but your documentation is not that good. It's slightly crappy. So many people are going to miss out on that experience. Yeah. And what are some of the open source projects that you've worked with? Is it, have you worked in uh, .NET? Yeah. Okay. So .NET are, um, yeah. is one of them. I'm 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 getting up to to being more fearless and actually contributing to the framework. Right now, it's all documentation and samples. Yeah, which is good because through the documentation, you're learning about the structure of the project itself. Oh yeah. Um, so I think it's a good start. You know, for those listening. Okay. Yeah. Going over the website. Yeah, documentation then bugs. I think. And then oh, yeah. keep going um, up from that. Oh, such a great, I think I recently discovered a bug in, mm -hmm. in um, Angular UI and I submitted a possible solution and someone messaged me and said, oh, this is great. It's, it's a really funny hack, but it works. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, That's hey. really cool. I was like, because it's a really weird hack, uh, but, yeah. but it works. And, and that's, that's right. Like anyone who's out there listening needs to know that everything, every tiny thing does matter towards mm -hmm. the success of a project. And there's so many um, places and in, in, there's so many things in place right now to support people like your first pull request up for grabs that allow people to just get started because that's that's the scariest part of going yeah. onto GitHub and you're trying to find a solution or something to work on. But with things like yeah. your first pull request, it's just a way to give you more confidence to just just do it. Yes. Yeah. A lot of the Coursera courses. Yeah. Um, the first exercise is uh, create a repo, put it in GitHub and push a readme, basically. So I think um, even one of the trending projects people were saying was uh, one of those classes, project setups. So like if you see the most contributed projects, 
some of them are actually from those courses. And I think that's pretty good because like you mentioned, it's the hardest part to get that first push. Exactly. It's it's the hardest part. And um, yeah. I was talking to uh, Kent C. Dodes. He is um, one of the lead contributors to Angular, an amazing mm -hmm. person. And he said there's this fear of thinking that in order for your con contribution for open source to matter, it has to be absolutely phenomenal, groundbreaking, has to change speed the framework by X amount of million requests per second. But he said yeah. some of the most wonderful things that he's got as um, on his contributions are the tiny things that support the people who are contributing. So he said his favorite contribution was when someone created um, a badge system mm -hmm. of all the top contributors. So it was a celebration. So he would just post all the top contributor contributors of the week. And that really brought more people onto the project. And those, those are just different ways uh, that you can start being part of the open source community. Yes, definitely. And now that ASP.NET is open source, how do you see its future? Oh, good question. I think one of the top things with ASP.NET being open sourced is we're going to get, let me, let me rephrase this. One of the, I think my favorite things about ASP.NET being open sourced is that we're going to reach new developers and we're also going to give the developers who have been working on this platform for such a long time, um, a chance to be part of building it. Um, my, the thing I look, uh, I think I am most excited about is seeing a newer audience coming into ASP.NET as well. Um, mm -hmm. We call them the net new developers, where we have people who have, who are either new to code or who are, have come from different frameworks who are more open to using Microsoft because there was this illusion that .NET was incredibly closed and all you had to do was be on a Windows device in order to yeah. run a .NET application. And or that it's just big enterprises using it. Yeah, big, or enterprises in general. Yeah, that's what people, you think of. You think of .NET, you think of major enterprises. You think of Goldman Sachs and PwC. Yeah. Um, yes. I think now we'll probably see um, more startups. If I saw, and I'm pretty sure there are startups out there, if I saw a startup that was running on ASP.NET and building some amazing product that is going to make someone's life easier, I, I, that would be the happiest thing ever. Because um, us open sourcing it, especially the ASP.NET Core, and with it being cross-platform, um, we're reaching new people. And I was talking to a developer last week who had been a .NET developer for so many years, and he had recently transitioned to Ruby because of his job. And the reason mm -hmm. why um, his team was using Ruby was because it was open source. And with ASP.NET Core, he was able to convince them to move over uh, to ASP.NET Core because of the speed, right? Because it's like, I think it's 1.13 million requests per second. It could be more now, but he was able to convince them of that. I think my overall dream would be, I would love to see more women talk about ASP.NET as well. Um, mm -hmm. Considering that there's such a huge number of jobs out there, um, for .NET developers 
um, I would love to have that opportunity for women as well, because I don't think there are enough .NET female developers. There are a few, don't get me wrong. There are quite a yeah. few, but I would love to go to a conference and see someone other than me yeah. speaking about .NET. Because um, I can name probably about six, maybe 10 that I know who are very public facing. But when we go to other languages like Python, Python has done a great job with Django girls and the supporting of these yeah. communities. Ruby also. Oh, right? Ruby. Amazing. Um, like most of the, the engineers that I know who work on GitHub's, um, the GitHub Ruby team are predominantly women. And I think that's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think I would love to see that. I hope that with it being open source, with it being um, cross-platform, with the work that I'm doing to make sure that it's in more boot camps as well, because mm -hmm. that was another thing is that .NET wasn't also easily accessible to just go learn um, at a boot camp. It was predominantly you either learned it on the job, which was an enterprise job, yeah. or like you have to learn it on your own through certifications. Uh, and yeah. it's usually paid for by your company who, where you have a support system because people on your developer team are .NET developers. But I would, I'm pushing for it to be at boot camps because I want it to, to feel almost natural to learn because there's also this illusion that C sharp is so hard. And I'm pretty sure you've heard that as well. Yeah, like, definitely. But I don't think it is though. I don't think it is either. I think, yeah. I think like with, like with C sharp six, seven, like it's, so much work is done for you. You can, you can yeah. learn it. The, the illusion needs to end because I've met Unity developers are like, C-sharp is so hard. And uh, maybe when because I tell them, I was like, do you know you're using Unity, like C-sharp? They're like, yeah. really? I was like, what, what, what did you think you were using? Yeah, maybe they're confused because it's like C and C++ and some naming confusion. It's naming it's, confusion. That, that's actually yeah. a good idea. That's actually I think a that's what point. Yeah. I think that's what it is. It's probably that. Like, it's not that hard. Um, I think we just, and I'm working on this, uh, creating more documentation by, yeah. on my team, but also making sure that other people are also, you know, doing courses around us. So Code School is a good example. I was really excited when Code School yeah. announced their .NET um, course because they have an incredibly fun way to learn. Have you tried Code School? No, I haven't. I've tried a uh, Coursera, Pluralsight, yeah, pretty much those those two. So yeah, so those like Code School is a Pluralsight company, and what oh they, okay. But what they do um, is they have a mixture of like five minute videos. Then you do mm -hmm. a quick quiz in the browser. Um, yeah. So it's an interactive um, browsing experience. So they use a REPL. And it will point out where you're going wrong as you go on and there are points. And as you accumulate points, you can use them towards something else. You can buy answers. They also have these really cool jingle jingles that go with it. So mm -hmm. ours is like um, the Microsoft one, the .NET one is like a castle themed one. And they have like an old um, medieval soundtrack. Uh, the Ruby one was Ruby for zombies. Uh, the angular oh, one. Oh, I know that one. Yeah, yeah. it's 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 that really one's pretty fun. cool. So yeah, the zombies uh, one. I actually did that one. Now that I remember, yeah, it was so much fun doing that. So much fun, and and that's another thing is that 
.NET has yeah. also become fun to learn. And, and that's cool. And um, having people like Code School, like a company like Code School, taking a fun um, approach to coding because they yeah. do have, you know, the interactive coding experience where you're, you know, you're writing in the browser. Um, but they also have a theme around it. And that makes a world of a difference. Like I was actually excited when I was testing their course because I was like, I want to listen to the next jingle. Yeah. Like they, they get addictive. Like I remember I kept going through the, the zombies one because I was going to do a project in Ruby. Yeah. Ruby on Rails. And my brother recommended me that one. And I was like, what is this? It, it doesn't look like work or something. And it was just so much fun. Doing so that. much fun. And, and yeah. that's, and that's what I'm, that's really important. Um, yeah. for also accessibility is think, figuring out that people learn differently. This experience might not work for everyone, but for someone like me, because like I'm dyslexic, so anything that is very catchy and exciting, my mind is like set. It's yeah. just a great way to, to keep me engaged. So just thinking of different ways to teach people is very important. And work, though, even the way people design their workshops, really important. Uh, should you do like a whole bunch of presentations? Should you do presentations and code? And also figuring out what works best for your audience is huge. Yeah. Yes, like we mentioned before, is it going to be kids or people that are using some other technology and are trying to shift to a different one? So all those things matter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And before we finish, I wanted to talk about some of your other work. Uh, about a year ago, you decided to shift from data into web developing. Mm -hmm. And... You mentioned that before you were more data focused. Yeah. What were you working on with data? Um, I was more data focused predominantly because uh, it was my intro to computer science. Uh, data was my first love. Oh, yeah. That, is it because you were using Access the first? Yeah. Like back in the day? Back in, ba back in the day. Back in 2002. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it all started there. I see. It now it makes there. sense. Now it makes sense. So, so yeah. data was my first love. And yeah. data has come so far. And I got so caught up in the big data trend because I thought it was fascinating. When you think about data, you think about um, what data can tell us. And all the yeah. major projects that I had ever done in internships had been around data. So I'll give you an example of one of my favorite product projects ever. Uh, mm -hmm. Back in the day, and this was before iPhone, I worked at BlackBerry. Oh, wow. I was an intern at BlackBerry. Uh, yeah. First internship ever. And they were using a really old access database that had, I kid you not, um, one of their tables had, it was something ridiculous, like 300 columns. Wow. But oh I've heard God. of people that are worse. Like I was talking to somebody who told me they, they went to a uh, realtor firm where it was 10,000. I was like, what did you do? Um, <laughs> oh so my they God. had their really old database that used to manage all their manufacturing units. So every single component that went into building um, the BlackBerry. And they used to put yeah. it all in there and it would take forever to load. So I told them, okay, let's not do this. And this wasn't even my project. It was something I saw, like I was working mm -hmm. on something completely different that was all about soldering and 
um, like yeah. chips. And I wish I had paid attention because IoT is a thing now. Yes. I, just, I, was like, I wish I had paid attention to what I was really there to do, but I did it and I did it well enough. Um, <laughs> but I remember I looked at this and I was like, this is so terrible because we had to go and check if... Um, if particular components were available by using this access database. And I was like, first of all, I need to have access on my machine. It doesn't work that way. And that was the first time I built a web application using .NET, ASP.NET. And yeah. in the back end, I, I used MySQL. And that was my, not MySQL, I used SQL Server. And that was my first experience in like building a huge database. And I think once I was done, it started being used as a standard for manufacturing, monitoring manufacturing um, components all over BlackBerry, all over RIM. Wow, that's awesome. So that was my like, first big project. And that's I, awesome. It was amazing. And it wasn't something yeah. I was even told to do. I would actually go in and I was like, I had no life. But I'd actually go in <laughs> on the weekends as an intern to work on this yeah. project. And I remember delivering it in front of the head of our org. And at the end of it, it was still used until BlackBerry, you know, disbanded and went, you know, its separate ways. But my yeah. former boss actually told me it saved them so much money because they were not losing parts anymore. Like I put in a tracking system. I introduced the oh, barcodes. Wow. So I was able to read in the barcodes. And I was so yeah. obsessed with data and it was my first exposure to what like web applications actually were. Um, yeah. And that was huge. That was my, my, my big thing. And that was back in 2007. So I was working like on earlier MVC. Yeah. Oh, I've used MVC and ASP.NET. It's pretty cool. It's really cool, right? That, Once you figure out how routing actually, works and async, you're just like, oh, yeah, I get this. Yeah. And actually, I remember like having a lecture in school about MVC and the, going over PowerPoint slides from the teacher. But when I first used ASP.NET, MVC is when I first learned what it actually was. Like, I think the lectures didn't really help. It was more about seeing it in the code and the different files and all working together. It's, it's pretty eye-opening, right? When you first figure out how yeah. everything comes together, you know, and, and that you're just like, wow, this is pretty yeah. cool. So, yeah, that was my yeah. first and I think one of my proudest ones. And then the next one I worked on was a, um, an Android application. This was an undergraduate thesis. Um, mm -hmm. where I looked at collecting all these different data points. And this was my first exposure to big data and machine learning, where I would look at all these different kinds of data points. So I looked at water levels and I looked at um, heat and standards of living. I looked at all these different data points to predict outcomes of malaria in rural Uganda. So I'm from Uganda. So I was looking like malaria is a huge thing there. And in particularly yeah. in one area, there's a huge level of infant um, mortality due to malaria. So what I looked at was I looked at all these different data points. And then I kind of, when you think about that, I built my own very low level predictive um, system. I, I was able to predict like by 50-ish percent with accuracy. So that was my first exposure mm -hmm. to big data. What did you predict by, with 50 percent? What? What, was the, what were you predicting? I was trying to predict um, the possible outbreaks of malaria. Oh, yeah. okay. okay. 
So, and you were using real data, right? Real data, real data. Wow. So I was in school in Canada and I was like, can I look at different data points? So can I look mm -hmm. at water levels? Can I look at socioeconomics? Can I look at a level of education? Can I look like I looked at all these different data points because what I was trying to fight at that point was um, malaria outbreaks, especially with young mothers and young children. And mm -hmm. the whole point of that data was to put it in an app that would be able to yeah. triage cases to doctors because they didn't live in an area with um, doctors. So their doctors were the closest doctor was an hour away. So can we, so it was all wow. basis of, basis of a triage system. Mm -hmm. And again, you were making a better world through code. I'm, I was trying to, and I, I'm going to continue trying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to continue yeah, I think trying. this is a, a recurring theme on your work. So yeah. last question that I want to ask, what are you going to be focusing on in the next few months or in the next year? Um, Is there anything in particular in your mind? Oh, yeah. So I have like, like IoT, maybe. I don't know. I I, I keep on trying. Like I have all these IoT devices sitting in my home that I haven't opened yet. I know I have a Raspberry Pi that I could use for something and I, I still haven't used it. I haven't figured it out yet. Like I have like four Arduinos. Um, one Raspberry yeah. Pi, one board called a Linkit. I don't know what exactly it does. Um, but my focus this year is I want to figure out ways to create accessible education platforms for mm -hmm. children who live in nomadic countries, um, who are, mm -hmm. who are predominantly, like I have an idea of something I want to try to pilot in Kenya where these kids don't have yeah. access to an education because their parents are nomads and they have to go where their parents are. So I would love to create an application that accounted for low bandwidth of internet that accounted for, um, English as not English, not being the first language, um, being yeah. able to access kids to education, regardless of where they live, they need, they need to have access to an education. Mm -hmm. Wow, that that's a really great initiative. I really like that. So that's a side project. And then for my real yeah. job, I want to yeah. focus on getting ASP.net into the hands of as many people as I possibly yeah. can through platforms yeah. that they're used to. Yeah. One thing that I think uh, Net has, don't they have a special um, plan for startups or like you students don't have to pay or like it's different right mm -hmm. so yeah okay so there are actually two plans that microsoft offers which are pretty cool we have BizSpark, mm -hmm. which is for startups where they give you pretty much everything um that we make yeah. for free for the first three years uh with the yeah. possibility to extend as long as you're making under a million dollars a year in revenue Okay. By the time you're making a million dollars a year in revenue, you can afford the licenses, I hope. Yeah, and then yes, definitely. We, there's the Microsoft Imagine and Microsoft yeah. DreamSpark that does offer kids um, access, university kids, access to free yeah. Microsoft developer software. Cool. Including Azure, which is huge. Yeah. So people can just find it by looking up oh, yeah. Spark or... Yeah, they just need to look for BizSpark. If you okay. are a startup... 
um, you are under five years old and you are making less than $1 million a year in revenue, you can, yeah. you qualify for BizSpark. And if you are a student mm-hmm. anywhere, you qualify for DreamSpark. And I know a lot of students, especially in my home country in Uganda, who have benefited so much from the DreamSpark program and from yes. the Microsoft Imagine uh, competition. Yes, definitely. Well, Maria Nagaga, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed talking to you about all your experiences. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great weekend. You too. Okay, bye.